Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. Hi, I'm Michael Ewald, host of Credit Hour. Today we interview Keith Braveheart, an Oglala Lakota artist who just completed his master's in fine arts degree at USD this spring. Keith's work has been exhibited at numerous galleries all over the country, and he is the winner of this year's Stillwell Award, USD's most prestigious student art recognition. In our conversation, we discuss some of Keith's fantastic paintings, his inspiration, and where he'll go from here. We're here with Keith Braveheart. Uh, Keith, how are you doing this morning? Doing good, thank you. Now, Keith, I'm going to start with an incredibly loaded question. Um, what is native art? That is a pretty loaded question. Um, <laughs> maybe even impossible as well, too. But um, native art, from my perspective, is just a extension of life. There's no definition in... Um, what we would consider like Western society standards as far as art with the capital A, you know, so like paintings or the artists with the, the little artist hat and the paintbrush and um, anything like that. I think native art is a reflection of just existence. Um, it's just another um, part of culture. It's just another part of community. Um, so it's just a way of practicing life, basically. Now, you said you come from Kyle, South Dakota, on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Um, how does your art connect to your home and, and kind of your adolescence and growing up in Kyle? A lot of what I do as an artist is a responsibility that I, I feel I inherited um, once I started to really recognize all of the, the gifts and opportunities and a lot of the rewards for what was kind of being given to me for continuing to follow through with commitments and wanting to pursue a career in art. So I'd give back towards the upbringing, a lot of what shaped my perspective, a lot of what influences and is actually the content of my artwork by what I was observing as a youth, you know, even to an adult, just about my surroundings from being from the Pine Ridge Reservation or from Kyle or we call it Medicine Root. Um, but even beyond that too, to like living in Rapid City and seeing the the um, cultural context there within the urban setting of how native people just um, engage with their surroundings but also continue to practice their Lakota way of life even outside of that reservation boundaries. So a lot of that observation is um, what I hold dearly as an artist and a lot of that is still what I reference back to in my work and I think that's why a lot of my work gets recognized is because I was able to pull those moments that get overlooked or um, they're not totally deemed stereotypical picturesque kind of images of Indians on horses or Indians praying or anything like that but just the everyday life. Um, 
you know, one of the the pieces that really struck me um, is titled "When All You Have Is the Warmth of a Wood Stove and Your Grandfather's Last Name." And for those out in the audience who might need to get on a computer and, and try to look up an image of this painting um, to kind of describe it, it's a really striking portrait. There's a a stove in the background, and the individual um, you know has this name tag that reads "All I Have." And it's one of those moments where you, where you're looking at, you're kind of scrolling through you know various paintings, and you just kind of stop and you really pay attention to it i'm curious what you were really going for with this piece well with um a lot of my work it's usually intentional um as an artist you try to keep in mind where is the work going to who might the audiences be that are going to be seeing the work you know you hope to have some sort of communication or um a moment of where transferring energy between the artwork or the artist's voice to whoever might be on the other end of viewing the artwork. So for that piece, it was specifically going to an art show, the Red Cloud Indian Art Show on the Pine Ridge Reservation. And um, I, through my um, experience and being a part of that show, I know the audience who comes to it is a lot of like the, the common grassroots kind of people, the community. And a lot of them never have the opportunity to really see art in a gallery setting. Um, so for them, it's it's kind of something special when they get to go to that art show and, and see paintings or sculptures. You know, they feel really proud to see like art, you know, the the idealized notion of art. But when they see it coming from a perspective or from a background or from a from a heart where it's you know the same as the way they view the world i think it just really demonstrates the dynamics of art so with all that in mind um i try to make work that's going to be uplifting encouraging you know might make somebody proud or happy or maybe just bring a smile or laughter to them um and I think back to, you know, what is it that I, I see growing up? A lot of what I know is significant to, to me. You know, what were those moments that were really important and, you know, life um, changing really huge memories? So the, the wood stove was a big part of my upbringing. You know, growing up in my grandmother's home, that would be the start of the day. You know, she would put sage or sage and cedar on the wood stove so it would, you know, make you wake up feeling ready for a nice day, you know. Um, and I think that that's always kind of a symbol of that that home, you know, of going back to a home place, to having some sort of a um, welcoming feeling or a belonging sense. So for me, that was important to put into the painting. But then also it's making me think critical as well, too, as far as like, well, what is value? You know, what is wealth? What do we hold as far as what is important to us? Is it materialistic um, items, you know, wealth and money terms or anything like that? Or is it things like that, like, you know, just the reliance on that wood stove or even just the appreciation and having your last name and for me it's like i'm thankful for a lot of the you know um objects that i have in my life too but i really hold dearly to my last name you know that's one of the things that i carry on that people are going to know me for not for you know what car i'm driving or <laughs> what shoes am i wearing or anything like that you know you talked a little bit about a little bit ago about you know the sense that you view kind of your artistic talent as a gift 
did you always consider yourself an artist? Did you feel like you had to be kind of classically trained at a university center? Um, I know you went to you know university in Santa Fe. That's where you got your bachelor's degree. You're about to um, walk the podium for your master's degree in fine art here at USD here in a couple of days. I- I'm curious, you know, at what point can I consider myself an artist or are you just an artist or not? No, that is a good question. And I think um, it's good for aspiring artists to kind of evaluate their own um, answers to that type of a question too and for me it's like yeah anybody can draw we all draw as kids you know whether you call yourself an artist or not we all are creative when we're younger but then we start to get um put into what is necessary for our for our life at the moment so we focus on other things but I think for me it was definitely making that decision to say, okay, well, I have to go to college to understand the foundations of art. You know, yeah, I like to draw and I'm pretty good naturally at, you know, um, replicating a photograph or a person or whatever, but I need to sharpen my skills and truly understand the foundations, the principles of art. And that I think comes with going to an institutional setting to understand fine art Um, and then learning more about the whole lineage of of art that exists as well too so for me it was after graduation of high school when I attended my undergraduate studies at Santa Fe you know is there a, a first piece that you sold that you kind of will always remember or was is is there kind of a singular a piece that you'll always look back on and say this is kind of when I took the next step as an artist yeah definitely I think um it comes in phases as well too so I mean I could remember back to the first time I ever even sold anything you know back in high school um, I would do a lot of drawings and give them away to people who just appreciated them and who liked them Um, but then I was approached by like um, teachers at high school and they would ask for me to do a drawing for them and they would pay me fifty dollars or something like that and for me that was pretty huge to see that you can make fifty dollars off of a drawing and then that just um rolled over into college experiences where you'd be doing student shows and you'd go in and you'd find that you sold a piece and slowly making your way up up the the ranks i guess you know moving from a hundred to a thousand to to beyond that and um just being surprised every time that a piece would actually sell that some person would you know have such a connection with what you were creating you know in your own little time in your own little space that they would want to invest a dollar amount to that that exceeds your expectation of what you felt that piece was worth well and i don't want to focus too much on the monetary side of art um obviously but you know when you i think pursue a creative endeavor, whether it is as an artist or as a musician. Um, and you know, somebody's parent might look at that and say, look, this isn't going to be a lucrative career, you know, go become an accountant. Right. Was there this moment where you just realized like, I don't have a choice. I'm an artist. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what I have to do. Or is it more complicated than that? Is, is there a is there a world in which Keith, you know, maybe doesn't sell that fe- first piece of art and you know is doing something else right now? Yes, I mean, in high school, you know, it was it was either going to be the army. You know, I was really interested in 
going that route just because my grandfathers were in the service and to me I always looked at that as something I really appreciated and would like to continue on some sort of a legacy for my Braveheart side but then I also really appreciated making art that was what I was passionate about what I loved that's what made me happy so I applied to the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe and it was like if I don't get in then it is de- definitely the army because the recruiter was already there and we were doing everything to prep to go into the army um, and it was like one last kind of chance to see if if my work you know if my portfolio my application was to the standard to get accepted into the school and it was so that was what changed my life and kind of drove me to the commitment of having to go to school and throughout the whole experience of school still very young like a lot of young students are you know you're still acquiring who are you your identity and just kind of what you like so that's why we see a lot of students switch majors so much because they don't know what they like when they're that young still Um, some people know exactly what they want to do and they stay driven throughout the entire college first four years experience for me it was still switching around just kind of trying stuff out you know a lot of what I went to school for first my focus was photography so I really loved taking photographs then that kind of rolled into um printmaking I really enjoyed the whole process behind doing printmaking I took one painting class that was required for my degree but I just loved the the um, process the action just the whole expression of painting so I did that on my own in my dorm room visit with other painters just be so inspired by painting that that's what I left loving to do and there isn't really you know a large um, finish line for a career in art you can probably teach maybe you'll luck out and sell paintings at a, a really sustainable price that you can live off of but for the most part it's it's really trying to find where you can still be creative but you also have to bite the bullet sometimes and find a job um so either way i I think for me i would have continued to make art regardless even if i was working a job that i absolutely woke up hating to go to which there were many of those following graduation i didn't start out with a you know 30k job right away it's like working your way up and just taking what you can but also still not losing the love for what you're doing or getting discouraged and I know it could be harder for other students um, considering whatever circumstances you know a lot of female artists as well for like having children and stuff like that but for me it's just continuing to make art and not feeling like it was the obligation or a lot of the ambition to sell it to survive it was just making it because i loved it and pricing it accordingly and a lot of it did sell so a lot of that started to create this whole network and provide more opportunities for me to expand my 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 career my journey you know you talked about your varied interests in different other forms of creative media printmaking photography um you were involved with a documentary, correct? Uh, Horse Nation. Can you tell us a little bit about that project and what you hope to accomplish with that? Yeah, so I was working on the Rosebud Re- Reservation post undergraduate. You know, now I have 
few years of life experience. I've worked those those little jobs where I was getting underpaid, just kind of making it, um, still trying to really mature into that whole adulthood where you have to take responsibilities and pay your bills and really look at the longevity of what are you going to set yourself up for. And for me, I'd gotten a job on the Rosebud Reservation where I was very fortunate to work at uh, the tribal university there for a program and my job was a social marketing manager and I really didn't know anything about social marketing I just kind of fell into that position and had to learn a lot quickly but I was also very fortunate to have a huge network that was national so I understood what social marketing was and what my job duties were and it was really to try to help promote this um, program and the services that they were providing to the youth and the families on that reservation to bring them in so that they can um, gain an alternative or an option to to healing that was outside of um, mental health services from a clinical point of view. And one of those services that was really successful and that was really catching on was working with horses, equine-assisted mental health therapy. Um, But it had a whole Um, traditional cultural structure to it. It was Lakota based. So it was something that went back to this whole um, cultural significance, this whole identity that has existed for so long as far as understanding how much the horses can help a person or how much um, power the horses hold um, when you look at them through critical lenses. So my job was to help promote all of that. And I was trying to look at what media was available that could be successful in a campaign to bring um, clients in, uh, relatives of what they call them. So I looked at like the ideas of using the internet, doing um, public service announcements on the radios, um, DVDs. A lot of people have access to DVDs. So I said, well, we can make a short little film. We can just circulate that within our intended location, and that will be fine. Uh, We can do a nice job, but we have a little bit of artistic background, so we can shape it so it can be interesting and pleasing, enjoyable. Um, And that that was, I was happy with that. But in the process of working on it, it kind of just took on a life of its own and it started to balloon and become this huger project that I never anticipated, but I was very happy that it did. And it eventually just became a film, a documentary film. First stab, never called myself a filmmaker, but um, it was just something I recognized that needed to be done. There There was a lot of films being made that continued to kind of um, talk about stereotypes and kind of outsider perspectives of of the peoples um, and their identity and needs and dreams and I felt like it would be a good opportunity to really let them be at the forefront of telling their own stories so then I reshaped this whole concept of that film and let that be what it became and it just grew into this documentary film that I'm happy to have been a part of yeah that that's really interesting one thing you said kind of there at the end about representations of native americans and contemporary film uh entertainment what have you you know it it doesn't seem like we've maybe moved past um kind of some of the older stereotypes yet where do you see i guess you know modern entertainment hollywood how do they represent native americans and and i don't know if you can just describe an example um 
you know, for people that might, that doesn't apply to them, a white person, right? Why is this offensive? Why, why do these stereotypes, why are they harmful? Well, I mean, as an artist too, I'm always supportive of creative vision. So a lot of artists, filmmakers, you know, they have the right to tell what stories they want to tell. And we encourage that. But whenever it continues to be about a specific society or civilization or nation or identity, um, then it can start to really be harmful if it just continues to push the stereotype further and further. Because then you start to get assumptions, um, perceptions that begin to limit themselves. And it's kind of sad because it doesn't allow audiences to gain more insight into omitted histories. There's so much rich culture, there's so much rich um, value, knowledge that can be accessed out there in the world, but we're limited because we're so media driven. We're so driven by contemporary culture where um, we expect everything to tell us what we need to know or what we should know. And we rely on TV, we rely on popular films to tell us the truth a lot of the time. Um, There's not so many people who go off and seek educations for themselves. So we buy into what's being given to us, what's being packaged for us. And a lot of that includes um, stereotypes of culturals, um, cultural significations. So for Native people, it's just being limited to the privileges to share their own stories. And it's nice to be included in the whole lineage of history and be um, portrayed as present, but it's more important to be able to tell your own voice of who you are and not be constantly included in the documentation of history as from one person's perspective who's telling their their version of the story you know when we talk about representation what can we do better i mean you you talk about the the notion of you know these people kind of telling their own stories how can you know people that work in media uh, people that work in in creative uh, services how can we tell these stories more authentically visually represent um you know different groups whether those are native americans or or other you know underrepresented groups how do we represent them accurately well there's a lot of good effort that has taken place in recent times, I think in the past five to eight years, there's just been such great efforts to allow that to happen now. I think there's a lot more um, people getting educated as far as the understanding the the importance of giving marginalized voices an opportunity or privilege or sharing with the privileges for them to create their own platforms so that they can speak for themselves or working collaboratively so that they can make good stories emerge, you know, good um, narratives develop. Um, But I think to continue that on, it's just getting out there and doing a lot more active listening. So listening to these demographics 
as far as what are their concerns, what are their interests, what are their dreams, um, what is their story, and finding ways on how you can add to that. How can you amplify that or magnify that um, unheard voice and see what's within it? And I think a lot of projects have developed recently where that's catching on as something untapped. You know, even the whole Midwest region itself is being looked at as an untapped treasure still. You know, there's a lot of beautiful stories, beautiful perspectives that exist out here, art forms. And I think um, the larger globalized world is looking to that as as the exotic um, and wanting to to find a way to utilize that to whatever agenda may be but there's a lot of people within those locations who still have sincere intentions to just let the story be it's a story let the art be the art and let that be what we celebrate what we use to um, create some sort of a, a dialogue that has a meaningful purpose behind it or even just to gain more appreciation for whatever the issue may be whether it's humanities or just um arts and cultures you know another issue that comes into representing um, native americans i think this is especially true in a place like south dakota is when you talk about indian reservations they're often you know described as um places that have lots of poverty lots of problems you know when i've visited indian reservations this is one thing that you know, people that live there will talk about that they don't appreciate the, this representation of their home, that there's a lot of people out there doing incredible work, um, living happy and healthy lives. I, I'm curious how your work kind of balances both, you know, the struggles um, that someone might grow up with if they, if they come from, you know, your community, um, but also how do you celebrate the successes and the joys and the heritage that you might have? Well, whatever the media may be again whether it's a painting or a documentary film or a song it's finding some sort of a balance i think um you also want to be honest and have some sort of authenticity to what your work is about you don't want to just lie and create a a meaningless commodity that you're just only putting out there for its purpose of just you know, being an object, you want to put some sort of um, sincere spirit into whatever your art form may be, whatever your passion may be. And a lot of that has to include both spheres of life, you know, so there's always going to be negatives, there's always going to be positives. And we have to look at both of them, again, with a critical mind. And how can we look at something negative and pull some sort of positive aspect out of that that maybe can be used to be encouraging to somebody else you know how can we look at something and get beyond only our narrow perspective and see how it might be strategically utilized to have a impact that we're not even looking at at first glance so looking at something negative and there's a, a term that's used a lot like poverty porn you know it's a lot of what the filmmakers and different type of um project coordinators look for is to come in and utilize that to to be the starting point starting point on how to get some kind of project up and running but i think looking at that it can also be used to really kind of gain a a strong stance that 
there's responsibility that needs to be taken. You know, if you don't like these conditions, there has to be some sort of change that can develop out of that. And that's what's inspiration to a lot of the following generations that are yet to come. A lot of artists are looking at how they can utilize that as their tool to create social change or just um, inspiration that might develop other actions within that environment. Um, And in the positives, the positives are a lot of what I was talking about omitted histories. You know, there's a lot of positives that exist, but a lot of the time what is documented, what is presented is usually the preference of the author and the lack of native authors existing leaves a lot of those celebrations out and that's when we find uh, a lot of um, what is documented as a celebration in some sense is like battles battle deeds you know noble stoic warrior um, efforts and since there's a lack of education that exists from native perspective a lot of our younger generations had to rely on outside discourse where that kind of shaped their perspective and started to really have a conflict with traditional values and you know traditional perspectives where we could look at well what really is to be celebrated what are our positives and i think now that there's so much more free thinking and more critical practices as that are happening we can really really analyze well what are our celebrations you know what can we celebrate what should we celebrate you know what are the artists that have influenced you there's a lot of artists um (laughs) i think i'm just always a appreciator of art before i really ever call myself an artist but i'm it's hard to to answer that question because there's so many but i mean off the top of my head sitting here you know i'm totally oscar hell you know he's one of our our greatest treasures as ochete shakoni people as native people he was one of the fathers if not the whole groundbreaker for modern native art have you ever seen his work no, um, USD right now actually has a fairly good Oscar Howe exhibit over in uh, Old Main. You know, it's just one room, but the, the paintings are incredible. I know that the law school, I think, has several prints that kind of line um, you know, their, their walls over there. How does it feel to be kind of, you know, he practiced here, he taught here right at USD. How does it kind of feel to be part of that lineage of, you know, not only uh, you know, Native American artists, but also like USD artists um, and kind of following along in this tradition? Well, he is one of the main reasons I chose to apply to USD. Uh, Just the fact that he was here and he does have that legacy that is still here, that that kind of overlooked treasure that's here at USD. And he has his own gallery, but USD is also the biggest holder of his collection of his work. You know, his biggest amount of paintings and other artworks exist here at USD that's its home and it has been for so long there's been so many great people who have um, contributed efforts to make sure that that legacy would exist here at USD and not too many people know about about it Um, but he also had an impact on all of those who would follow so like I said he was the father of modern native art he was doing something that was totally outside of the the parameters of what Indian art should have been back in its time, like the the 30s, where it was more flat, more stylized. They called it Bambi art because it kind of looked like 
Bambi, the cartoon, the Disney cartoon. Um, but that was what was being sold. That was the, the commodity. And he challenged that and he said, well, I'm drawing on my cultural perspective of um, how we used to be artistic with our design nature and our aesthetics. And I'm shaping that into what I want to have as modern art through my influences of what I'm seeing in Europe with a lot of like the artwork that was happening then and you know influences like cubism but also a lot of like Russian artists I believe as well too helped him to kind of really get outside of his narrow point of view and say well I can do this I can make modern native art and I can still tell my stories I can still have that rich heritage within it but it can be so totally something so far advanced so progressive that it's beyond the the little flat images the decorative kind of work and it was different in his time as well we have to think about the context of the time as well too for something like that to happen how would it be accepted you know so he was getting a lot of feedback um from his work as he sent it off to art shows and a lot of experts were telling him that he wasn't painting Indian art. So he challenged that whole system and told him, well, you know, I have the right, the authority to determine if my work is Indian or not, more so than you could. And I think that his kind of manifesto, his kind of whole philosophy had a huge impact on all those students that would follow him. And that's when we've seen this whole really radical emergence of, of contemporary native art that was also aligned with a lot of contemporary um, revolutions just in in popular culture. So we think about the 60s, you know, with a lot of the civil rights movements and a lot of people asking and, you know, really fighting for their freedoms to tell their own stories, to to really um, be recognized as um, significant in the whole larger canon of history. A lot of that was was having a huge impact on art and it just continued on. It was just a continuum that led all the way back to, to me. The little student who applied for Oscar Howe Summer Art Institute that's held here in the summertime. You know, I had no idea who Oscar Howe was at all. I didn't even know that there was such a thing as like modern or contemporary native art. For me coming into that institute, and this was after I graduated high school, um, my whole idea of what is native art was beadwork you know it was still the stereotypical shaping as well too because that that's what was being um given to me that's all i had access to you know just seeing the same kind of like um southwestern motif style magazines and a lot of like the the really picturesque stuff that was hanging up wherever it may be hanging up um so that was my understanding of what art was but when i came here then i understood that there was much more to that and and that there was a need for more artists to really contribute to that continuum to give it more steam so that it can grow even further. So that's also what drove me to say, okay, I'll make the commitment to apply to an undergraduate program and not just apply, but finish. And then after finishing, not give up and continue to still make art, still continue to talk about it, still continue to get out there and um, make sure that we're keeping this, this whole synergy alive. But then also to say, you know what? As much as a commitment as it may be to apply to a graduate program, it will be worth it. And it is it is necessary. It's needed. And not only that, but it has to be done at USD. It has to be done because there's just not enough artists who have ever had that opportunity. But gain 
you know, a lot of encouragement from the forces that may be Oscar Howell's legacy. Well, and one story that we, you know, in the media and marketing department stumbled upon this year was a canvas painting that you worked on um, with a group of students in the Native American Cultural Center. Um, I know that that was a a mural project that kind of sprung up from um, just the students themselves and an idea with uh, painting professor Amber Hansen um, over in the Fine Arts uh, College. I'm curious if you can tell us a little bit about that painting and what you hope to accomplish and I, I, what's incredible to me about it, and, and if you get a chance, you're on the USD campus, I encourage you to go over to the NAC and check out this this painting. It's very cool. It so realistically depicts two students. I, I, I unfortunately do not know their names, but I see them all the time on campus, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the person from the painting. You know, I know that the, the realism is not obviously the, the biggest component of this, but it it, it struck me that this painting is going to exist in this place for decades possibly. And it's going to provide inspiration and a a sense of home. I think um, is how I kind of read the painting. You know, it it exists in this native American cultural center, um, which does provide kind of a home away from home for, for a lot of kids here on campus. I'm curious if you can just talk about what that process was, how you were able to work with um, some of the student artists, undergrad artists here on campus and and develop this really collaborative uh, piece of, piece of art <clears throat> sure and i have to thank amber hansen like you mentioned the the painting professor here at usd because she was the one who really brought this this concept to life she has a lot of experience as a community-based artist so she's done so much mural projects where she's working with the community to really develop what do they want and what kind of art do they want to utilize and what kind of art do they want to you know have inhabit their spaces their everyday spaces and she brought such a good energy and excitement to usd art department i'm really happy to have worked with her and fortunate to have worked with her because she got a lot of um inspiration for me she she made me think about all these possibilities of what i could do beyond just painting in the studio and having a cool painting that i could be proud of or that was really individually based but start thinking about how can you have more people um join in in these shared positive moments so that was the whole idea and she had reached out to the Native American Cultural Center and the director, Jean Thinalk, over there about the idea. And she wanted it to be a mural, a painting that would occupy that space over there, but that was created through this collaborative um, community-based approach where we would have all the students, whoever was interested really, um, whoever occupied that space to contribute what was so significant about that place to them. And we would take these ideas, we would be practicing this active listening and taking all that in and then trying to help develop a design based off of um, our experiences and education in the foundations of art. So working with students in the art department as well, too, it was an artist-led initiative working with Native artists who are in, um, in the art department. And we held a couple gatherings. So we went over there. We invited all these students who occupy that center. That's their second home while they're here at school. And they provided... You know, all these ideas, all these voices, all these little insights into what that was about for them. And we took that and we reimagined it a couple times over as designs, 
Amber did one. Um, another one of our lead artist list guy did one um and then i kind of we we would meet as a design team and we would look over each design that was being created and we would kind of give feedback to each other and ideas critique that we could maybe re really refine what would be the final blueprint and finally when we came to a, a decision on what that would be it was just the then process of creating it so getting it onto the canvas filling it in with paint making color selections and stuff like that and a lot of that was um through the use of the students as well too so a lot of what was created was was them actually going in and painting mixing those colors um deciding on what was the imagery that they would want if they had a last minute to kind of alter something on there um and then for me it was just being supportive of it all the way through lending my hand to a lot of the painting to make sure that it was going to be completed and um actually going in and and painting on it too so i painted the figures <laughs> it's it's a great it's a great work and what i find you know very interesting to talk about you know one last piece um that you've worked on unchi's last dollar um th this was again something where when when i looked at it with my perspective i i don't think i understood the symbolism and when you learned more and more about it um it was a incredibly moving uh piece of art um I, I don't know if you can just describe what the painting uh, shows, you know, to our audience, but also what it means to you. Unchi's last dollar uh, is a is a really one of those pieces that is one of my favorites, and it's because Unchi is grandmother. That's how you say it in Lakota language, and it is a it is like a honoring to my own grandmother, my Unchi, my father's mother. She's the one who I grew up in her home. So when I was talking earlier about my grandmother putting the wood stove on and stuff like that, that's who I was talking about. So we grew up to her home. She's kind of the centerpiece that was there for our whole family. And we have a huge, huge family. Um, and a lot of us always held her up as, you know, what kept us all going you know our reason for for being a family so she had a huge role on on so many people's lives even within the community a lot of people looked at her as as really um influential and and really a, a big part of, of the community but she she got sick i think back in 2009 she was um getting really kind of her health was was not in good conditions so she was in the hospital in rapid city and she was kind of making progression but um eventually she she passed away so she passed away while i was um working on that piece you know and this is something i just kind of created out of intuition you know i always wanted to see this old kind of grandmother figure sitting down doing something i didn't know quite what yet and it was just a lot of like play with color and kind of like um shape and stuff like that but um when i had visited her before she passed away um i was working on the painting and it was headed towards the south dakota governor's biannual at the time it was my submission that i was gonna send off but I visited with her and she was she was really good when I seen her. She was like super um 
lively. She didn't look sick in any kind of way. Um, she was happy. She was talking. And she always really cared about all of her, her grandkids, her kids. She was like, you know, always concerned about everybody. She wanted everybody to be okay. So she gave me some, some money. And I mean, I didn't ask her for no money, but she was just like, here, take this money for whatever, you know, go get something to eat or something. And I was like, I didn't want it. I was trying to refuse it, but then I didn't want to be disrespectful either. So she just made me take it and um so I took it and then shortly after like day or two or so she passed away so I was kind of dealing with that whole um you know experience and wanting that to be a part of that artwork you know so it totally changed what my artwork would be about and it was making me kind of contemplate you know like what are our, our moments that we recognize what are meaningful was it that moment where I had that last encounter with her and how can I share that so that other people can remember a good positive you know and not feel totally depressed by her passing away so I took that one of those dollars that she gave me and I cut it up and I put it into the painting and that became the title Unchi's Last Dollar. But it also makes you, I kind of asked the, the question as far as what would you do if you're recognizing that there has to be an end at some point of moments and how do we appreciate the, that present kind of time? How do we look back and um, find value in, in things that we may overlook or take for granted as well too? So that's kind of what that piece was about and it eventually made its way to the governor's biannual and um somebody did a an article on it in the tribal newspaper the lakota country times and it made it onto that front page so a lot of people got to see that painting and a lot of like my family back on and kyle a lot of them got to see that and remember her as well too so i think that that was a nice force behind that artwork that just helped to make it out there that it's not just about the painting. It's not just about Keith who painted it. It's about remembering these these things that are meaningful to all of us. Well, and I think that's what is so incredible about you as an artist is your ability to just capture this emotion in a paintbrush. And it is a unique talent. And I think for the final question that I, that I have for you, it's a question that I hope to ask a lot of our guests that come on. And it's actually an Oprah question, so I can't even take any credit for it, right? But when you think about where your career is going and, and anticipating the things that you might be able to do, you know, I, I'm curious, you're kind of at this, this odd stasis point, right? Where you're just finishing your master's degree and you kind of have your whole life ahead of you. You also have an incredible array of experiences, life academic, um, to kind of fall back on when you're kind of at this, what I would really describe as maybe a jumping off point. I mean, I'm excited to see what you do as an artist and as a representative of USD in the future, what do you know for sure now? Well, I know for sure now that I don't have to overthink what do I want to do. I can just appreciate the moments that, that are in front of me. I can also take a lot of um, confidence in, in knowing that there doesn't have to always be such a plan. I don't have to always look totally towards a finish line I can just kind of enjoy the journey um, but then also looking maybe at just the experience of being here at USD I think I know definitely a lot more about painting I know a lot more about um, different perspectives different cultures and a lot of um, how that can help me really really kind of sharpen my 
way of speaking about what is my intentions as an artist. So why am I creating art? Why is it important for me to share my art with a South Dakota audience? Why is it important for me to still speak about Oscar Howe and his legacy? Um, I know what all of that means to me. Keith, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Michael. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. Listening is 100% of the grade, so we hope you enjoyed the episode. Next week, we interview Don Plitzewhite, head coach of the Coyote women's basketball team, about her thoughts on leadership and how she got into coaching. Until next time, go Yotes.